Technical governance isn't something most developers typically think about until it's too late. Our guest today helps us understand what it is and why devs should prioritize it to make their lives easier. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and of course, all the curious individuals that I say with the utmost love and respect. Welcome to or welcome back to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast, where we bring you the latest tools, tips, and tradecraft to accelerate your career. Joining me as always is the one and only Low Code Lauren. How are you today, Lauren? <laughs> You know what? I'm doing fantastic because you and I spent an entire week in Vegas and didn't get sick. So that is an A plus in my book. <laughs> well, that's one of us. I did get sick. Oh, well, I guess that leaves me. <laughs> Sorry. I, I was probably a super spreader with all the selfies going on. <laughs> if you didn't know, we were recording uh, this podcast one or just the week after knowledge. So apologize for any hoarseness caused by the sand and cigarette smoke. <laughs> It was a wonderful week, despite any maladies we may have incurred. Well, let's get to our show, because in this episode, we've got the great pleasure of talking to Rushi Mandani, who is a senior platform architect here at ServiceNow. How are you today, Rushi? Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Lauren. Uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me here. How are you guys doing? We are doing magnificent. Thank you for asking. I am eager to talk to you because... Oh, technical governance, it, it sounds worse than it actually is. And this is something that all developers are passionate about, but it's one of those lessons that many times you have to learn the hard way. So we're, hopefully we'll head off a few things before people get into trouble. But before we begin, I always like to get to know our guest. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I belong from Pune City, which is known as the cultural capital of Western India. And also, uh, it's hot favorite amongst all the foodies in India, at least. And uh, to talk about my career, I started it around 10 years ago uh, with ServiceNow testing and later worked with Elite Implementation Partners as a developer, technical consultant, uh, solution architect for multiple enterprise customers in different domains like pharma, retail, and telecom. Uh, and now I'm working with uh, ServiceNow as a platform architect in Impact. And I'm also a certified technical architect. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, that was a great course and gave me an immense learning, I must say. Uh, and in the stint of my career, as uh, I've worn multiple hats, I have lived in both sides of the world of technical governance, where I used to present solutions to the board. And later, I became part of the board to assist the solution presented by the others. So today, I bring the both perspectives about the tech governance to the table. Now. I got to ask, as part of the Certified Technical Architect program, did they talk about technical governance in there? Certainly, and in quite detail. That was one of the topics uh, they had taught about it. And they also taught us how to, or what are the steps that needs to be taken in order to set up a technical governance with one of the customers, uh, along with their uh, maturity levels. So we're going to get a little insight into the CTA program here, I suspect, right? Yeah. Sneak peek. <laughs> All right, Roshi, fun question for you. What was your favorite toy as a child? Uh, uh, it's not an easy question to answer, but I, I had many Lego sets uh, to play with. Uh, but my most favorite one has been uh, the Batmobile. Sometimes I still uh, build it from the scratch. And I think I have been building it from umpteen number of times till now. And uh, I guess that's how I developed a knack of for building things. 
<laughs> I think that's a big crowd pleaser, especially in the developer world. I feel like that's where a lot of us got our start. So shout out to Lego for inspiring the masses. The show is not sponsored by Lego. No, I mean, <laughs> if they want, hit us up. I could always do with some more sets. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's fantastic. Thank you for your background. But now let's talk about the current day. So when you're not at work, what are the types of things that you enjoy doing? Well, I am a Marvel Cinematic Universe fanatic. I keep watching their movies, shows, and not only that, their breakdowns for ours. There are so many YouTube channels who do it very well. And I can keep doing it. And besides that, I'm also an avid reader. I'm fond of mostly self-help books. Currently, I'm reading The Road Less Traveled by a very known author, M. Scott Peck. All right. Now we know a little bit about you. Let's learn a little bit about tech governance. What is it? Before we delve into tech governance, I think let's talk about governance. It's in short term or a shorter version. It is a process to enable effective decision making. For service law implementation, it is recommended to have at least three levels of governance, strategic, portfolio, and technical. Technical governance is the foundation level governance where the decision making related to queries or challenges is handled. Uh, it mostly promotes effective and controlled use of the platform, enabling the organization to maximize its value while maintaining security, stability, compliance with relevant standards and policies. It also encompasses various aspects such as defining standards, guidelines, and uh, best practices for configuration, uh, development, and administration of service now instances. It seems that technical governance really seems to encompass a lot of things, not only proactively thinking about different types of activities, but also staging what needs to happen next. That seems like a tremendous amount of effort that I think can probably seem pretty daunting. So is that type of resistance common in organizations? And is there anything they can do to start combating that? Yes, indeed. Uh, I can think of multiple reasons uh, why organizations do resist it in the beginning. Uh, so first and foremost, I think it's time and resource consumption. Uh, organizations have who have fast-paced release management process that may look at it as an additional burden because uh, its implementation, the tech governance implementation, takes um, some effort in the beginning and resources to define its uh, to define and enforce policies and standards that that come up as an output of the governance and establish processes uh, and manage those governance activities. Uh, another one that comes to my mind is uh, the perceived loss of control. Now, some organizations may fear that uh, the tech governance would limit their control over the administration of the platform or over the customization. Uh, when I say that, uh, that might come because their preference is to like to have like-to-like implementation as the as of their legacy systems, and they may feel that the policies and processes might hinder that ability to deploy the good changes. Uh, if I have to think about, about another one, I think lack of understanding and awareness of the tech governance benefits is also one of the most important reasons. Because if the organization don't comprehend how it can optimize the stability and long-term success of the implementation, then again, they would hesitate to go ahead with it. And uh, last but not the least that comes to my mind is uh, perception of uh, slowed innovation and now. Again, some organizations may worry that uh, tech governance can stifle their agility and innovation leading to delayed implementation, which are business critical because there are certain steps that have to be followed 
before we actually deploy the solution into the system into the instances, right? So I have seen many organizations may believe that they can manage with an informal approach and then formally uh, making the board and just informally making a decision, documenting it somewhere. Uh, so those are some reasons I can think of for the resistance. So what can be done about this? Certain things that I can speak from my experiences uh, from the beginning itself, it's imperative to communicate the purpose and the benefits of the tech giving effectively across the stakeholders, including leadership, because their support is very important here. Uh, then it's also important to emphasize on how it can improve the stability, security, uh, compliance, collaboration, and also long-term maintainability of service implementation. Uh, involvement of key stakeholders is plays a pivotal role in the governance process, uh, seeking their input, addressing their concerns to build the trust. And then buying is very important to make them feel that the process belongs to them. Mm -hmm. it's, their inputs are also be, being taken into consideration. And uh, I think demonstrating the value and the positive outcomes of governance, uh, it can also help in overcome this resistance, which has been built in the beginning and foster the culture of uh, responsible and effective ServiceNow platform. There are certain KPIs that ServiceNow recommends, which can measure the effectiveness and efficiency of the tech governance, tech governance board, uh, which can be presented to the executive. You mentioned stakeholders. Who are some of the personas that are involved in technical governance? So there are two sides of the coin here, right? Uh, the one side is the actual governance board, who would be assessing the solutions and provide uh, approval and rejection based upon their understanding of the platform. Uh, that board generally consists of platform owner, platform architect, uh, program manager, and the other side of the coin where uh, who would be presenting the solutions to the board, who would be the developers, uh, subject matter experts or solution architects, basically uh, the personas who would be developing or architecting the solutions uh, as, as part of the requirements. Absolutely. And but speaking, going back to the point about uh, two sides of the coin, there's another matter that kind of has a, a two-pronged problem, which is the argument about technical debt and what that really means. Because I think with the uprising of like citizen and low-code developers, a lot of people assume that that would be, you know, smaller amounts of technical debt in contrast to like the heavily coded aspects of the platform. But that's not really the case, is it? That's a great question, so first of all, let's understand what's a technical debt uh, and how is it created. Uh, so if I have to formalize the definition, I would say technical debt is an accrued cost of rework needed to remediate short-term decisions. Now, when is it created? I can think of multiple reasons. First one that comes to my mind is when speed is prioritized for sustainability. Again, mm -hmm. talking about the organizations who has uh, fast-paced release management process. When good enough is prioritized over good, like, yeah, just do this as of now. Later on, we'll talk about the next steps. And any quantifying deviation from out of pocket. Now, that can come very easily if there is a lack of understanding of all the uh, features that's right? So, basically, anything that affects upgradeability, manageability, uh, or performance of the platform can be termed as a technical debt. If that's ignored, or if it's not, uh, if it's left unmanaged, it can overrun a team's capacity for innovation. Uh, and that is exactly where 
the low code objects might come in handy as they are far better in terms of manageability over the pro code ones. I'm not saying every time there's an alternative available. Whenever they are, I think the, the low code one should be low code or no code one should be preferred over it. Well, what would be a good example of that? The quick one that comes to my mind is uh, if there is scripted schedule job uh, as a part of requirement you're developing, then definitely there is a no code, low code flow. Uh, which would can be managed in a better way or can be developed certainly faster as compared to the script. Agreed. And having gone through a few of these recently, your future self will greatly appreciate the low-code version of something. <laughs> if it accomplishes the same functionality and performance is not sacrificed, please, please do start there. Now, as far as avoiding technical debt, I, I have you know, 40 plus years of coding behind me. And and as I approach problems on the ServiceNow platform, just because something is script doesn't necessarily mean it's a risk to upgrade. Do you, do you have any tips for, for how people can follow that path? Mm, definitely. I can think of many uh, from my experience and also uh, from the implementation experience that I have, right? So first and foremost, uh, a very easy one, but I think it's an underdog. Staying up to date with ServiceNow developments leading practices. ServiceNow is in its platform, which is evolving always with each and every family release. And best uh, practices or leading practices also keep evolving. Hence, staying up to date is very important as it ensures uh, long-term rentability, and it can also help in reducing the technical debt. Now, I think you mentioned that you know a moment ago when you talked about, hey, I've been writing sc scripted scheduled jobs all my life. I've been doing that for 15 years. Now we've got scheduled flows, and it, it really takes a change in mindset. But if you didn't know they were there, you're not going to be able to take advantage of that, and all you're doing is creating more technical debt. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Another one that comes to my mind, which is also an important one, and if not a taught up to developers in the very early stages of their career, is preference to the modular and reusable component. They are always easy to maintain and extended over one-off solutions, uh, which might be difficult in long term. That's also a good idea. You know, if I have to give an example, if there is a block of function which is required, or you are writing it over multiple times in multiple business rules. Why not just shift it to a script include, call the script include, and whenever in future you have to make changes, you'll do it at only one place instead of multiple business rules, right? There's a reason they teach you object-oriented thinking as one of the first classes of computer science. It's so that you can get in the mindset of recycling. And you see that all over service now as well with whatever subflows you have. You have the client scripts that are callable. You have tons of opportunities for that all across the platform. And there's one more which is largely ignored uh, in most of the organization because the thing is a burden is maintaining comprehensive documentation for all the solutions that you have developed. And also, if any technical debt you would have introduced as a part of any immediate requirements that you have, you know, that's going to be helpful for all the future developers to better understand the systems. And it can, if it's tracked regularly, that can also help in reducing or introduce a new tech debt and you can analyze its impact, right, or to the existing ones. The last but not the least, uh, regular review and refactoring the code to improve its quality. It also presents an opportunity to proactively identify the potential technical debt and uh, and avoid it at the very early stages. Awesome. I must say, all of these policies can definitely be standardized to the technical debt.
Well, that's fantastic advice. I think it's it's very interesting to think about that from the perspective of someone that is, you know, watching their company grow and change over time. However, with the job market, especially the way it is, a lot of people are being introduced into brand new careers and brand new companies. So what can developers do about inherited technical debt, stuff that might not have the history and understanding to be supremely knowledgeable of, but still would like to leave a meaningful impact of in the future? You mean crazy things I did back in 2009 at the company I used to work at that someone has to support today? Oh, I literally still get calls about my old code, my previous job. So I feel you there. It's humbling. <laughs> and every developer will say, oh, don't ever look at my old stuff. It's ugly because we all learn and grow, and but we never have time to go back and fix it. <laughs> or we left, right? Yeah. <laughs> we left. <laughs> I can totally relate with that uh, being called by the previous organization and just can we have a quick connect uh, this code that has been written in can you please explain it that is where i understood the uh, importance of maintaining the documentation uh, so coming back to the point where you uh, had asked that what can the developers do about the inherited tech debt just to reiterate the point that i have made right first and foremost go through the existing documentation of technical debts familiarize yourself with the what are the challenges today and continue to maintain it. That's very important. If your uh, predecessor has done a good job, you can do, always do a better job. And this another one that I can think of is always keep identifying the opportunities to the code reviews and keep prioritizing it in each and every sprint. I mean, I would always suggest that to keep some reserved efforts in every sprint to remediate some or the other technical debt that we already have. The next one that comes to my mind is uh, during each and every upgrade, uh, I think it's always good to uh, to check if there is any existing technical debt that can be replaced by any newly introduced feature. You know that helps a lot because most of the technical debts that are introduced consciously, they've always been like, okay, we need it right now. But after a couple of releases, by looking at the roadmap of service now, it's going to come in handy there, right? So we can eliminate it that. Uh, so that is where uh, the the upgrade uh, checks come in handy, and. Also, one that another one that comes to my mind is if uh, the technical that, that has been introduced is relatively a complex solution and is not part of the out-of-box baseline and not even on the roadmap of ServiceNow, you can always be presented as an idea to ServiceNow. And if ServiceNow identifies it as a widely practiced solution, our product team might actually consider it to make it as a part of the out-of-box baseline. Hadn't thought of that last one about putting it on the, onto your portal. That's a great idea. Now, a lot of this sounds fairly manual when you talk about identifying opportunities and going through code reviews. How much of this can be automated? For example, instant scan. Yeah, it's a, it's a great feature that I love. I mean, uh, it can be utilized. And I have been uh, helping quite a few customers now to automate the code reviews, right? And instance troubleshooter plugin. That's another thing that gives you a head start to start the instance scan feature. So it introduces some free, quite a few predefined uh, checks in instance scan, and you can start with it. And apart from that, if your organization policies or the, the, the standards or the policies that come out of the tech governance, you can start configuring that into the uh, instance scan. And once done, it's always the best practice to scan every update set if that's the mode of transport you're using. Uh, or each and every scripted objects rather to get it scanned in the developer instance itself, uh, sorry, dev instance itself, and identify the findings, potential tech debts, fix it then and there, 
and then make sure that best practices are always followed. So basically, that's a gatekeeping that is done at the uh, dev instance itself. Uh, there's a little check type in instance scan. It's a very powerful feature to developing the scan checks. And uh, let's not forget the ServiceNow health scan that always helps in identifying these findings and it gives the great recommended pra best practice. So uh, yeah, these are the two things that can think of which will reduce a lot of effort in making this, making this automated checks. Now, as a former, as, as kind of the ambassador to the sales team, as having been a previous member, um, I think that one thing about everything that we've talked about is phenomenal, but it is still theory, right? These are all theoretically what people should be doing. Theoretically, what will make your life better. Do you happen to have any real life success stories of like an organization that implemented some or all of this advice and how that helped them? Are you calling them out? A bit. I love, I love a success story. I'm sorry. It's in my genes. Show me the money. <laughs> yeah, I'm kinda. I mean, I'd love to see proof. Let's see some proof. <laughs> oh, well, there are quite a few, but one thing uh, that would always be on my mind because uh, we had helped uh, one of the customers who was the uh, enterprise pharma customer in Europe uh, with whom I was working as a platform architect uh, from the implementation partner side. We had successfully helped them in setting up the tech governance board, even when it was not a formal concept, uh, right? And in which uh, the SMEs from different tracks uh, used to present multiple solutions to one requirement. It was a mandate. And it, they used to present it in a predefined tech assessment tech where they had to uh, present their assessment, how the impact of the solution is technically and functionally. Uh, and they had to tell what is the recommended solution among multiple uh, with the detailed reasonings, like tell the pros and cons of each and every uh, solution. And uh, that, that actually helped a lot. Um, the top three things that come to my mind is it created an awareness in the rest of the tracks on what's going on on the platform, right? Usually when there are multiple tracks, they work in silos. And that is where each and probably every track introduces technical debt and then only the visibility is on the platform level. Uh, if there are any similar requirements, let's say me as an SME presenting some solution and uh, there's other SME who's presenting the call, feels like, oh, I have similar requirement. Let's refactor the solution. Why not develop it on the platform level and let's reuse it, right? And so, and the third one is uh, it, it actually helped me and also developers in developing the mindset uh, to analyze the impact of every solution that they're working on on the platform level, both technically and functionally. One of my favorite questions I always like to ask is, what advice do you have for new developers who might be listening to this? Um, I just pass on the advice that I have received or rather I have learned from my experiences. Uh, let me just uh, organize those thoughts in my mind. Uh, first, again, uh, reiterating myself, keeping yourself up to date with service knowledge practices is very important, right? I mean, as they're evolving day by day or by release by release, uh, get familiarized with them as much as possible. While developing any solution, keep an open mind. Think about multiple solutions or multiple ways in which you can implement it. And not just that, do a functional and technical comparison between them and come up with the best one which will pose the minimal risk to the platform. Another one is think about a long-term perspective rather than a short-term one-off solution, right? Mm -hmm. Because every solution that we introduce might have uh, a long-term impact that we 
immediately cannot think of, right? We are just in the hassle of burning the current story that we have. And uh, understand the concept of business smart customization. That's not that's not just for architects. That's for developers also. That helps you in. Uh, so I'll quickly just summarize what's a business smart customization. It's basically weighing the value of the solution that it is bringing on the table versus the risk it might pose to the platform, right? If you think the value is more uh, with the analysis that you have done, that's the business smart customization. And last but not the least, don't miss any episode of the Breakpoint Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Ding! Just trying to get some brownie points. So let me under <laughs> let me wrap that all up kind of in a bow. We love the uh, the three big takeaways. So kind of to summarize that nice list, the first is to create some sort of governance board, right? Some sort of legislative body within your organization to help hold people accountable to these new best practices and make sure everyone's informed. Uh, the second would be to document the risk assessment and also the reviewing of the technical best practices, right? So not only do you have a long-standing record of how your risk assessment is changing and improving over time, but also the current information that can keep you going in the right direction. And then third, and probably most importantly, is to schedule regular reviews, make sure that people are informed, updated on what needs to be done. I mean, to put it simply, just communicate with one another how you all are doing and how you could be doing better. Does that kind of work as a good summary? We covered it nicely, Lauren. Um, I hope our listeners would have found it super useful and bring these tips and take it to practice. I have a link in the show notes to the technical best practices that we have today. Rishi, you and I were just chatting before we started recording and thought, hmm, those could use a little refresh, <laughs> which they can. So I'm not ashamed to say that uh, it's time to revisit our own document of best practice. What's there still holds up, but there's a lot that needs to be added to it. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining us. Before we leave, can you let the listener know how to get in touch with you? Well, it was a great pleasure talking to you, Chicken uh, Lauren. Uh, I'm reachable on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, you can search by my name, Rishikesh Mandane, and also on my uh, email ID, official email ID, rishikesh.mandane.com. And uh, just when I think of it, I think uh, recently on Now Learning Portal, the K23 lab sessions are available. I would definitely uh, recommend our developers to go through it. They are awesome as always. And the next level up this time, I would say. Thank you very much for that. And thank you, wonderful listener, for joining us today. Quick reminder, there are several other podcasts. In fact, I found a new one, another ServiceNow podcast. The, what was it? The Executive Circle, something that uh, there's been a couple episodes out. I heard about it when we were at CreatorCon and actually listened to it recently. You can find all of those over at servicenow.com slash community under the events menu or go to devlink.sn slash podcasts. Also, shout out to the community, which just recently hit 500,000 members over the course of the Knowledge Week. So awesome. if anything, too, plug to join the ServiceNow community and keep us on our way to the uh, Trace Commas Club, as they put it in Silicon Valley. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> thought about that number that way but okay <laughs> breakpoint is brought to you by service now executive producers would be me and lauren video and captions by our own earl duque and to find out more about the service now developer program we invite you to head over to developer.servicenow.com again thank you so much rishi for sharing with us today 
Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a great time I had. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening. Mandane. No? Yeah. Yeah? Was That's that it? it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I still don't have my intro here with Lauren on here. Da, 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 da. Lauren? How are you? Oh. He asked both of us. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it seems that technical governance really encompasses not only a tight, not only a tight, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm really dropping the ball this morning. Scratch that entirely. Scratch that entirely. Do not include that in the uh, in the podcast. I'm a, you're stuck with that now. That's okay. Just a bunch of service now people hanging out and talking on a microphone. Not that hard. Before we leave, can you let the listener know how they can get in, in touch with you? Pretend I said that right. Damn, damn, damn. And that would be the end. Woohoo! That was a little too weird. Yeah.